Hello and welcome to the FSC's Insights Podcast. My name is Ben McCallery. In this episode, the first of a mini-series examining the key trends and issues within the investment and retirement income sectors, we speak to Nick Fell, CEO of Bell Asset Management and FSC board member, about what he believes the key takeaways for the industry in 2021 were, including the importance of ESG today compared to a decade ago, the huge growth and implications for the industry regarding micro-investing that's being led by younger Australians, and finally his views on the unintended consequences of your future, your super. If you're interested in connecting with industry stakeholders, colleagues and peers on the topics explored in this podcast, we encourage you to visit fsc.org.au events to register for the FSC's Investment and Retirement Income Summit to be held in Sydney on Wednesday the 16th of February. In-person and virtual tickets are available with discounts for FSC members. But for now, we hope you enjoy the podcast. So Nick, thanks for joining the podcast. A recent report by PwC Australia revealed that 87% of Australian companies are now publishing ESG-related reports. And in the last couple of weeks, thanks to COP26, we've seen a huge step towards a common ESG standard. This is obviously huge momentum for ESG. Why, in your view, is it so important right now? I think what's different about the situation now as opposed to, say, seven or eight years ago when people started signing up for the UN principles of responsible investing is that you have an alignment of interests between the fund managers as corporate entities, the fund managers in doing their job of managing money, and the requirements of their clients. I think that a more informed client base really holds us to account in a way which we haven't seen in the past. And you can't get away with aphorisms and platitudes. You need to be able to demonstrate exactly what it is that you are doing because the person you're reporting to is able to see and interpret that information. I think your point about publication is an important one because what gets measured gets done. And I think that one of the most significant contributions of groups like the UNPRI or Australia's Responsible Investment Association uh, is to foster, encourage, and in some cases require publication. Because once people can see what's happening, they are able to assess whether you're doing a good enough job and whether you're doing what you say you will do. One of the characteristics we really like about the development of ESG at the moment is that it is multi-streamed in the sense that we exist as a, as a corporation ourselves. We have a social licence to operate. We have obligations to the, to the economy and to the culture in which we're operating. In addition to that, there are many levers that we can pull as an investment manager. The third level is the consumer and the asset owner themselves. All of those three groups who have somewhat disparate interests and different drivers all have a somewhat consistent end objective. And that's a very powerful alignment to affect change in quite a short time. I think that the rate of change in, whether you call it ESG, socially responsible or ethical investment, the rate of change is increasing. And the reason is because there's supply, there's demand and there's alignment. 
Fantastic. So, look, there's no doubting the superannuation sect has gone through a few tough years of, re- of reform. What, in your opinion, are some of the unintended consequences of your future, your super? We've seen several, and we think that there is always room for regulators and government to have an excellent direction and trajectory and good quality legislation, but then see the effect of that in a post-implementation review. And I think that the government is taking the right approach in seeking good quality information and evidence rather than anecdotes from the industry about things that haven't worked exactly as expected. For us, uh, and I'm speaking as a small Australian-based fund manager with a mixture of Australian and overseas clients, what we're seeing is contraction of the number of potential customers is commercially difficult for us. We think that the focus on passive investments is not necessarily in the best interests of investors. We do see the regulatory intent of reducing expenses across the board, and that's admirable. Yes, that is absolutely in the best interests of the investors. And at the end of the day, it's the members of the funds who are the people who we serve. We serve them, the super fund trustees serve them. But unintended consequences of pushing trustee investment committees into passive investments, into low-cost investments, and particularly into investments because they match the benchmark are the things that concern us the most. We've recently seen potential clients and in discussions with colleagues, their clients, who have actively changed their investment profile, in some cases taken on more risk because the danger to them as trustees of the fund is that if they don't replicate the benchmark, they run the risk of quite damaging impacts. I'm sure that's unintended, but that's something that can be addressed and we know that there is consultation underway at the moment. Some of the other regulatory uh, intent components have played out exactly as they should. I think that uh, the government should be applauded for uh, some of the effect in removing duplicate accounts. As an example, um, two of my children aged 21 and 23 already found themselves with multiple super accounts because of short-term and transitory work, even with my own wise counsel to try and avoid that. Uh, I think that that's an excellent outcome for the people who are entering the superannuation system now in particular. They're the ones who will, for their entire working life, be looking to see the benefits and where cumulative fees would have quite a meaningful impact over a working life of 30 plus years. Mm. Thinking about our younger generation, there's no doubt that the take-up in investing in 2021 has been really driven by our younger people. In the media, we see reports of the increase in micro-investing through apps, which has been really embraced by those younger people, with accounts more than doubling over the last year, year and a half. What implications do you see for the traditional managed funds model and how does this generational shift in consumer behaviour look like moving forward? What's exciting about this is that it is demand-driven. Sometimes the risk in this industry is that you have supply-driven developments. Someone has an excellent idea, believes they can make it a product and builds it and promotes it. In this case, younger potential investors without some of the traditional infrastructure of an accountant or a financial planner, but with excellent quality technology and a mindset that is able to be engaged immediately in a fluid and data-rich way uh, is going to be driving some change. 
what's going to be the challenge for us is being able to respond to that in a way that meets the regulations and the models that are currently in place. One thing that concerns me about this change is that I see a number of parallels with online and mobile gaming. And we need to ensure that this is not seen as a terrific way for a few mates to have a punt together, but rather a convenient, low cost, efficient and flexible way of actually engaging with investments. Now for a person in their, in their 20s who has met their obligations and has some money to invest, their risk profile is going to be very different than mine. There's nothing wrong with taking speculative investments in direct markets, but it is still different from a betting shop. Thinking about the last 12 months then, what do you see as some of the big lessons moving forward into the, into the new year for the funds management sector? The one that jumped out is the importance of our staff. We are reminded of the way in which our actions are collaborative, that we need to work together, that we cannot take the, the well-being and the health and the benefits that accrue to our staff for granted. It needs to be a two-way street. As an employer, we have to consider our staff's interests and we have asked them to step up quite significantly and be flexible and work with us and amend what they do, change their behaviour, utilise their own home premises as our, as our sites. It's a two-way street. We need to ensure that that flexibility and that respect and that ability to respond to changes doesn't all work in our own favour. So thinking about next year, we've got the FSC Retirement Incomes Summit. What are you most looking forward to in regards to the industry getting back together in a face-to-face -to -face environment, but also there's that virtual offering as well? What do you think or what are you looking forward to next year? I think that hybrid model of face-to-face -face and online, even if it was responsive to the facts of COVID, has been a terrific development. And I think that what it does is it brings more people to the table. People are able to still participate and still contribute to industry-wide engagement whilst not having to be physically there and whilst not having potentially to make a choice between something else which is relevant and important to their business on that day and being in attendance uh, at, the, at the physical occasion. The other thing that excites me about the summit is actually the content and the subject matter. Retirement incomes is an area that demands attention. It is terrific to see government policy work being developed and our role will be to work with the government of the day to implement it in a way that turns into profitable and viable products that are desirable to real investors and beneficiaries because at the end of the day the provision of sound respectful retirement lifestyle is what this part of our industry is about and working with consumers, working with government and working with our colleagues, including our competitors, allows us to deliver a product and a service that benefits each of those groups of people. And I think that bringing together the disparate parts of the industry at the summit allows us to do that. 100% agree with that. Nick Fells, thank you very much for your insights and thanks for joining the podcast today. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to the FSC's Insights Podcast. We hope you found this episode both worthwhile and insightful. For more episodes, head over to fsc.org.au slash podcasts and to make sure you don't miss future episodes and to keep the conversation going, make sure you follow us over at LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks again for listening and goodbye for now.